a couple key words. I'm kind of big on key words. Well, we're in a transition, obviously. Sometimes maybe you'll say this, where's Pastor John these days? Usually home. I'm not in the office much. So if you want to get a hold of me, give me a call. Okay, give me a call on my cell phone or at the house, 587-9906. But we're in a transition. You know, I, people ask me, do you, you know, does, does God heal? Absolutely. Does he always heal? No. I don't know what he's going to do in my life, your life. But let me say, this is what I'm trying to do as far as the church. Um, trying to help just kind of organize things, vision, periodically preach, if I can. Um, I am on, as of this week, disability. Um, I bought a private po policy years ago, and that's now enforced. Um, but I want to do as much as I can for the body of believers at Alfred Alma as I can to be a blessing. So, you know, as much as I can, I will. Uh, the other thing is connection. Um, shepherding, I, I still want to have input into your life and hopefully influence. So, like I said, if you want to stop by and uh, talk, love to do that. The only, the only thing is, is uh, my throat gets sore quick, so I just have to keep it short. You know, I can't talk for three hours or something like that. But I would love to, you know, I love when people stop by. Uh, hopefully announce, because sometimes I lay down and then don't wake me up. No. Um, and then finally, legacy. You know, I'm just preparing my family. I talk a lot about a lot of stuff. You talk a lot about a lot of stuff when you don't know how much time you have. So, you know, those are the things. And like I said, I just want to be a blessing. Uh, I always said I want to die with my work boots on. So maybe the Lord will allow me to do that. Uh, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. By the way, I've got to have gum. I know it's irritating to some of you. Perhaps you should never speak with gum in your mouth. No, if I don't have gum in my mouth, I won't be able to speak. It's too dry. Oh, I don't even have my mic on. No, I never even put it on. I mean, I had it on, but I then took it off. By the way, do you like my green sweater? I walked out of the house without my normal sweater, and then I'm like, what do I have? And this is the only one I had, and this was my, what, this is what my uh, nephew Marcus gave me because it was too big for him. So this is, I feel like I'm a, you know. Okay, chapter one. We're going to try to get through chapter one if we can. Uh, we've, we've gone through the first 11 verses. Let me just review very quickly. I'm not going to read the first 11 but, but they're very, very important because it sets up the entire book. The first thing is in verse 1, it's the preacher. He's the speaker. He's the guy that's, that's figured this out. It says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And we know it's Solomon because look at verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel. There was no other king over Israel other than Solomon and David. So, because then the, the, the nation divided. So we know this is Solomon. Now again, we know a little bit about Solomon. He had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of wisdom. God gave him wisdom. He had the ability to search out the world for significance and meaning. He had the ability. He had the resources. So he's the preacher. The message is verse 2. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Now again, five times the word hebel. 
And it just means vapor, breath, short, transient. Now, some people will say this is pessimistic, despairing. You know, what do you say in life is so short? Well, actually, life is short. Now, this can lead to skepticism, but really, you know, and I, I've had the soap bubbles up there. I didn't bring them up today, but really, you can think of it as soap bubbles, vanity, soap bubbles. They're pretty, they're, you know, they can be different sizes, but they pop and they're gone. Life is like that. I mean, enjoy what you have, but again, they're like soap bubbles. Enjoy fully the short-lived life. And now, again, that sounds odd and maybe even negative, but no, eat, drink, and be merry. That theme is over and over and over again in Ecclesiastes. Eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, God is a good God. He has given good, even on this cursed world. And so enjoy. But again, don't try to get your fulfillment, your satisfaction from it. Life is like a breath. James says that. It can seem meaningless. See, life itself cannot answer the big questions of life itself, right? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? This earth can't answer that, but God's word can. Number three, the key question. What profit? This is the the question that he's going to keep going back to, verse three. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? What's the profit? Now, profit means reward. What's the return for all the hard work? I mean, is it really worth it? Am I really accomplishing anything? What will I have to show for all my toil? If I work really hard, put extra hours in, is it worth it? Is there a payout? I mean, is it just hard to lay? I mean, is it worth laboring? By the way, we ask that question, especially if you get older. As you get older, you start wondering that. You know, what was, what was the purpose of my life? Under the sun. Now you're going to see that often. Under the sun, verse 3. Under the sun. The prophet in which he toils under the sun. Appears in Ecclesiastes about 27 times. And all under the sun means is, is life from a human perspective without ever lifting their eyes to God. In other words, just under the sun. Just what we get from knowing what the earth, I mean, the, uh, yeah, the people of the earth say, okay? So that's a, that is the key question. So do you see what we're saying? I mean, that's why I'm going over this. The person, the key word, the key, pers- uh, the key uh, question. And then finally, last time we looked at verses 6 to 11, and he names a number of things that just seem to have constant earth, sun, wind, rivers. The rain goes and it comes back and it's never full. You know, that type of thing. But again, he's not talking about emptiness there. He's talking about reliability. See, constant. Those things are constant. The earth, the sun, the wind, the rivers are constant. They're predictable. Which means a lot of things in this world are predictable. See, God made the world and it contains the purposes he placed in his creation. It's and I think he brings up verses 6 to 11 to bring us back to God. He subtly, this is what Solomon is doing in the first part of Ecclesiastes. He subtly keeps bringing us back to God. See, he, he sets up a scenario and it would almost be like, oh, that's so frustrating. But wait a second, who, who, uh, 
Who oversees the sun? Who oversees the rivers? Who oversees the earth, God? God has a purpose. It's a heavenly realm. And, and it, he ends with a question, verse 10, is there anything that, which, is, which could be said is new? Like this is new. Well, actually, only, only thing that is actually new, and he's not talking about inventions, he's talking about as far as the earth itself. No, nothing new. The new comes with God. See, he keeps bringing us back to God. If you get nothing out of this message today, just know this. The center point is God. The center point is Christ. If, if you're not finding your hope, significance, meaning in life in Christ, you will, it, it will always end in a futile way. Okay, let's look at some new stuff. Verse 12. And I just got two major points. Or maybe I got, I guess I got a couple more than that. The preacher's personal testimony. Now again, this is Solomon. Notice what he does though. Verse 12, I. Up to this point, he hasn't been doing that. Now he's going personal. First person, I. I, the preacher. And, and pretty much the rest of the book, he's going to be using the word I. Because now he's saying this is personal. See, he wants to find out the meaning of life. And, and he's older. We've already discussed that. He's an elderly king. He's, he's used his resources to find significance and meaning. I, the preacher. So it's personal. Second is it's sincere. I, I set my heart. It's not superficial. This has been a diligent, serious study in this world. By the way, we all need this study. I wish we could get this study when you were 17 years old, when I was 17, when I'm 15. John, little John Prince, don't try to get your significance and your security and your peace and your joy and the meaning of life out of this earth. Find it in Christ. I'd love to have I wish someone had said that. And when I kept moving away from that, they would beat me over the head and say, no, no, find it in Christ. No, no, I can find it in pleasure and other things. No, no, find it in Christ. Find it in Christ. See, this is a sincere study. Uh, the word um, set, it's that pursuit of knowledge that came from the very core of his being. I think I put that in your notes. It's a wholehearted, devoted, you know, it's a focused mind and a disciplined heart. And I'm so thankful he did it because, see, because he did it, I don't have to. You don't have to. He can already tell us the results. I love that. God put a book in the Bible and said, listen, you want to find meaning in life? Look at the one guy that could have found it. And just follow his, listen to what he said. And he says he can't find it. See, he wanted to know the meaning of life. As uh, Chuck Swindoll said, he went after it whole hog. He, he didn't go after the meaning of life like a, like a college paper. You know, a college paper, you know, how many of you in college? A number of you probably. You know, how many have been in college? You know, and, you know, the teacher gives you the syllabus and you got to write these term papers and you're like, eh, I don't want to write the term papers. You know, how can I get over this? How can I make it the simplest? I don't really care about the subject. Just let me get through this. If I can get an A, that's great. No, if I can get a D or a B, that's great. 
No, that's not how he approached it. He didn't approach this like a term paper. He went after it. Whole hog. He wanted to answer the question, how, how can I find significance and meaning on this earth? And so he set his heart. By the way, it's interesting. Look at verse 13. And I set my heart. Look at verse 17. And I set my heart. This passage is pretty much kind of like bracketed with that. I set my heart. He wants to reemphasize. He set his heart. So it was sincere. And it was intensive. The second part of verse 13. To seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all now, we've got to, first of all, decide something. When it says, by wisdom, he's not talking about godly wisdom. Now, you've got to be, I want you to understand this. He's talking about human wisdom. Human wisdom. He's not talking about, like, the Proverbs 9, verse 10, where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He's not talking about that. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There he's talking about a relationship with God, Proverbs 9.10. Here he's saying to search out and to seek out, to search and to seek out by wisdom. He's talking about human wisdom. God had given him human wisdom. We see this in 1 Kings 3. And we've looked at that. But this is human wisdom. The word is hakmah. It refers to what human beings can learn about the world without any, now catch this, without any special revelation from God. Just looking around under the sun. See, that's why I'm saying it's human wisdom, because it's under the sun. Okay? Um, human wisdom. Oop, did I drop my water? No, it had a cap on it. Thank you. Oh, don't you love water? It satisfies for about five seconds. Vanity, that's right, soap bubbles. Um, but this word appears in verse 13, this word of wisdom, twice in 16, 17, 18. It's the, it's the key, it's the theme. He set his heart through wisdom to find meaning. But he sought it. He, it says to seek. The word seek means roots of the matter. He went deep. He went deep to seek. The roots, excuse me, and to search. That means to investigate a subject on all sides. That means wide. He went deep and wide. Deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a, I never understood that song. <laughs> but maybe you can remember what he did. He went deep and wide. Seek and to search. Now, it wasn't easy. It was not easy. Look at this. Verse 13, second part, it says, This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man. This burdensome task. It's a hard task. God put it within the heart of man to seek. In fact, he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. There's a yearning in a, man, in a, in a human heart, a human heart to, to know, why am I here? You know, where am I going? What's my purpose? What's my meaning? But he said it's a burdensome task. Some would say it's the word grievous. In fact, some commentators actually translate that word, burdensome, 
evil. And, and that's not wrong because actually about 400 times, that's how that Hebrew word is translated, is he, evil. And, and what they might be getting at, if that's what Solomon really meant by that, was that it's, it's so hard because unless you have God there, you don't get the answer. It's hard. See, he's, God is setting man up for a frustration that unless you come to God, you can't get the answer. Kind of get the point. But it's an intensive study. It's searching. It's seeking. It's burdensome. Now, the other interesting thing on this is now we find this burdensome task, God. There again, God. That's the first mention of God. Elohim, not Jehovah. Jehovah is uh, the covenant-keeping God. That's why you use Jehovah. It's a, it's, it's a key word for Israel, covenant-keeper. This is Elohim, God, powerful. God has given this. But he brings God. See, he has suddenly brought God in when he's talking about the earth and the sun and the rivers. He's going to keep bringing God in subtly, even through the Proverbs. He's going to keep bringing him in because what he's doing is he's, he's trying to frustrate us. He's, not us. He's trying to frustrate the person who's trying to get meaning out of life without God. You shouldn't get meaning out of life without God. God is the center. He's the center of our being. We need to go to him for purpose and meaning, for satisfaction and contentment, for peace and joy, right? But we try to find in all these trinkets. He keeps bringing us back. No, no, it's God. God's given this burdensome task. Because God's got the answer. He's got the key. So it's personal, sincere, intensive, and also extensive. Because he uses the word all. All that is done under heaven. Now again, under heaven. Without God, without, without God's perspective, without revelation. See, he's trying to understand life. Not just one part of life, but life taken as a whole. He wanted to know as much as he could about as many things as he could. He wanted to investigate every area of human endeavor. But he wanted to know about everything under the sun. And he's, he's going fr- to frustrate the person who says, yeah, I can get the answer without God. Again. No, you can't. That's why I say I wish I had, I wish someone had came along when I was like 15 years old and said, listen, unless God is in the center of your life, you're not going to find the meaning that you're hoping for. By the way, I'm thankful that actually because I was a Christian and because of the path he took me, I understood that. But a lot of people don't. A lot of Christians don't. A lot of Christians get saved and then they try to get you know, their fulfillment out of everything but God and you can't find it. And they go do their own little thing for 5, 10, 20 years, and they end up frustrated and discouraged and maybe even depressed, and they wonder why. Because you're not focused on God, on the relationship through Jesus Christ. See, this, these answers can only be found through divine wisdom, not human wisdom. The very best that human beings have ever thought is not enough. Which kind of brings us to the old point of education. Let me say something about education. Because our world says that education is our savior. If we could just educate everyone, we'd be good. Right? Doesn't our world say that? You need education. Everything's education. Every education. Learning, knowledge, understanding. Like I said, education. Wisdom. That's what I'm saying. Wisdom. The Christian apologist Josh McDowell 
speaking on college campuses actually 50 years ago, back in the 60s and 70s, often reminded audiences, this is what he would say, if education was the key to life, then the universities would be the most moral, ethical, and spiritual centers in any nation. That's not true. Education would, would equate to contentment. And again, we, we know that's not the case. See, education can't save us. In fact, this whole chapter, this whole last part of the chapter, if you wanted to you know, put one word to it, it's wisdom. Well, what is he talking about? He's saying wisdom. Knowing, understanding. Can, can, can man come to the understanding of truth outside of God? And the answer is emphatically no. No. Education is wonderful. I'm going to say this. Education is wonderful. It's an earthly treasure. So don't come running up to me afterwards, oh, you were banging on education. No. It's wonderful and it's a treasure, but Western civilization has the value of it too high. It's too high. Too high. It can't save you. It can't even give you the, the key answers to life. And just look. I mean, look around. Because again, if it did, then those educational systems would be full of people who were the center, you know, It'd be centers of hope and peace and joy and contentment and happiness. I don't know. What I find is it seems that they're full of pride and anger and hate and agitation and hopelessness and fear and worry and anxiety and division. I'm just giving you what I see. I'm not telling you, I'm not, telling you not to go to college. I, go to, I went to college. I, I made sure every one of my kids went to college. I told them. I said, that's non that's not even a, you go to college. I want you to get an education. But don't think that that's going to give you the answers to life. It isn't. And if you decide, you know what, I don't need to go to college, I'm not looking down on you. Because I think we think of it too high sometimes. Right? Is that true? You can see it in our society. Our society is falling apart and pulling apart because we're, we're looking and saying, you know what, that can solve our problems. you got mean, angry, agitated people and like, I keep asking myself, but I thought you had, we're on the top of the pile, people. You know, what, half the world lives on $2 or less? We're on the top of the pile and we're still depressed and agitated. Discontented, not happy. Why? Well, I, yeah, if it's the unsaved, I get it. They're hopeless. But man, if it's a Christian, find your hope in Christ. You love Jesus. I have found myself over these last few months more and more loving Jesus. I asked him years ago, you know, Lord, I just don't seem to have an emotional attachment to you like I want to. And, um, I mean, I was obedient to a degree. <laughs> but, you know, when life hits you and then you say, well, you only have Christ. He is our life. That's what Colossians says. He is our life. So keep walking with him. And if you don't have a relationship with him, you can cry out to him. You can repent of your sin. And you can repent of saying, I thought I could get it through wisdom and knowledge. And find, you know what? I need salvation. I need to be forgiven. I need you in my life. I need to submit to you because you're the Lord, you're the King, you're the Master. And you came for your own and he's the one that gives eternal life. You don't earn eternal life. It's not a work. Right? 
As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So he gives us the right, why? Because I received him. And he forgives me because he paid for my sin on the cross. Aren't you glad he paid for your sin on the cross? I mean, yeah, it's great. It's, it's just like you, wanna, you just want to sit and worship him. Yeah, education can't save. I like the old, uh, ever heard of Vance Havner? Oh, he was an old, he was an old southern preacher. And he always had these one-liners that you'd like to write them down, you know. And, and he said this, the old evangelist says, quote, talking about education and wisdom and stuff like that. He said, quote, it is exceedingly odd that scholars master whole libraries seeking wisdom while the janitor nearby has enjoyed it for years. Because true wisdom doesn't come from a textbook. It comes from God and his word. And again, understand, I went to college. My kids have gone to college. I'm not banging on college. I'm just banging on college if, it, if, if we're thinking it's going to give us something that it can't. What only God can. And it's, it's been made for that purpose. So again, so he says, with wisdom I've... I've sought these things. He sought for meaning. Let's go to Roman numeral 2 because I'm going to run out of time. So he's going to be looking at testing things with this wisdom. By the way, next week if I'm around, I mean if I'm preaching, um, (laughs) I didn't mean it that way. I just, last week I ended up in the hospital. uh, Yeah, if I'm around. Um, If I'm not around, Ken, please preach this one. but look at what he does. I mean, he's going to test. We're going to test a lot of things next week. And we're going to do it with human wisdom. Look at chapter 2, verse 1, pleasure. Chapter 2, verse, verse 1, pleasure. Verse 2, laughter. Verse 3, wine. Look at verse 4. I made, my, I made my works great. I built myself houses, vineyards, gardens, orchards. I mean, he acquired, uh, verse 7, uh, male and female servants. I mean, he had all kinds of... People serving him had great possessions, special treasures, verse 8, musical instruments. I became, verse 9, uh, great. and ex- I mean, he tested everything. What do you have, 700 wives and 300 concubines? He could test everything. But he found it, no, not anything that satisfied. Okay? Human wisdom, trying to get meaning out of life without God. Dead end. It's a hard task. Like I said, it's burdensome. I'm kind of repeating because I kind of got ahead of myself. It's a hard task. It's a burdensome task. Like I said, some even say, you can translate that, that word burdensome, evil, because there's no solution. You can't find the solution to meaning in life without going to God. Have I said that like five times, young people? Are you getting the point? Don't live your life for money. Don't live your life even for relationships unless you're talking about, first of all, the relationship with God himself through Christ. Because it, 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 it just, it's a, it's a dead end. See, it's a burdensome task. That word task means busyness. But it's a busyness that is humbling. 
Because God has given us this task. And it's humbling because without God, you can't get to the answer. See, deep within each human being, God implants this urge. That's what I was referring to with Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Thankfully, he, uh, by the way, he plants that urge. Because it says in Romans 3, no man uh, seeks after God. So if you're seeking, it's because God is, is doing something. God is doing something. But, but it's a hard task. It, by the way, I, let's see here. In verse 14, he really kind of shows humility here. Because it says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed it's all vanity and grasping of wind. I mean, that's a humbling thing to be able to admit. I can't, I can't come to the conclusion. I can't, I, I can't, I mean, I, I, I'm an old guy and I've, I've done this for years and I've tried to find out what the true meaning of life is and I can't come to it. See, back in that day and age, ancient people expected their leaders to accomplish something. I mean, if you were king, they wanted you to accomplish something because they're, even though they were under, uh, I mean, they were, they were put under submission, probably by being conquered, but they wanted their kings to accomplish something. And kings would often rewrite, their, uh, rewrite history, kind of like we see in America today. I mean, you see rewriting of history all over the place. They re- the kings would rewrite history. Listen to what this one king said. And I'm not going to try to give you his name because it's like seven, eight different. But he's basically the ruler of Heliopolis. But listen to the hyperbole. Listen to the exaggeration of this. This is what he wrote of himself, or of, that, had, that he had written of himself. He is, he is a king very weighty of arm. There is none who can draw his bow in his army among the rulers of the foreign countries or the princes of retinue because his strength is so much greater than that of any other king who has ever existed or who has existed. Raging like a panther when he treads the field of battle. There is none who can fight in his vicinity. Prevailing instantly over every foreign country. Whether people or horses. Though they have come in millions of men. Boy, that's pretty arrogant. Like, who is this guy? Super, you know, he's superhuman? I mean, think about that compared to what Solomon just wrote in verse 14. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. Indeed, all vanity and grasping the wind. I can't figure it out. I think that shows humility. It's refreshing. Refreshing honesty. But it is a disappointing result. Because again, he said, this stuff is done under the sun. Verse 14, it's vanity. In other words, it's smoke, it's vapor. And it's a grasping. That word grasping for the wind literally means the, it, could be, it could be translated shepherding the wind. The root of it is shepherd. Shepherd. What, do you, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd takes sheep and directs sheep as the shepherd wants it to, them to be directed. And Solomon is saying it is like directing the wind. You can't direct the wind. You can't shepherd the wind. It doesn't, it doesn't follow you. That's how, vain it, that, that's how vain it is to try to figure this stuff out. You can't shepherd the wind. So you got to have God. Did you see what he's doing? He's frustrating us. He's frustrating the reader. Because he's saying, listen, don't, again, sixth time I'm going to say it again, don't try to find your fulfillment in anything but God himself in a relationship through Jesus Christ. Leonard Wolf, the British publisher, 
I guess he's married to Virginia Woolf. Does anybody know who Virginia Woolf is? I don't Anyways, I guess he's a famous guy. He helped start the Blooms, Bloomsbury group or something. I don't know. But anyways, he looked at his life and work. And th- but this is what he said of it. This is what he said of it. Talk about vanity. Quote, I see clearly, now this is Leonard Wolf speaking. I see clearly that I have achieved practically nothing. The world today and the history of the human anthill during the past five to seven years would be exactly the same as if, as, as it is if I had played ping pong instead of sitting on committees, writing books, and memos. I have therefore to make a rather humbling and sad confession. I put those two words in. That I must have. In a long life ground through between 150... This is what he's... Excuse me, let me start up. I have therefore to make a rather sad and humbling confession that I must have in a long life ground through between 150 to 200,000 hours of perfectly useless work, end quote. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Guy that's supposedly famous, but he says, really, when it's all said and done, it was just useless. What does it matter? See, he's trying to answer the verse 3 question. What profit has a man from all his labor? Yeah, I've been around. I put in 150, 200,000 hours. What does it matter? By the way, that's... That's human thinking. That's under the sun thing. Let me tell you. Christian thinking? No way. Live for Jesus. You're going to see Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Get rewarded by Jesus. In heaven with Jesus for eternity. Enjoying the fruits of our labor. Right? Man. I didn't have it on my thing, but I got to read Donna's favorite verse. Because, you know, I mean, this is, this is where we're at. Maybe it's not your favorite verse. I know it was years ago, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Last verse. This is the resurrection chapter. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is what? Not in vain in the Lord. It's not 150,000 hours of useless work. It's work for Jesus. Francis Safer, 40 years ago thereabouts, said this, All men have a deep longing for significance, a longing for meaning. No, regardless of his theoretical system, is, no man, regardless of his theoretical system, is content to look at himself as, as a finely meaningless machine which can and will be discarded totally and forever. See, nobody wants that. No, no, with Jesus, with the Lord Jesus Christ, you walk with him. Everything's remembered. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. And then fine, look at verse 15. A focus on God. I think he puts this in there again to bring us back to God. Verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be numbered. Well, who makes it crooked? Well, actually, you could answer it two different ways. You could say, well, the fall made things crooked. And you could say this, God keeps it crooked. Because someday he's going to change it, but right now he's keeping it crooked. See, a man's heart plans his way, Proverbs says, but the Lord directs his step. I think Proverbs, that verse 15, is just trying to remind the reader, wait a second, someone makes something crooked that you can't make straight. It's reminding us of God. See, no one can change all that is done under heaven. The only one who, who can change such things is God himself. In other words, verse 15 is saying we need the intervention of God. 
If you go to Jeremiah chapter 13, Jeremiah 13 says this, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may you also do good. Then, then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. In other words, you can't change. The Ethiopian can't change. The leopard can't change. And you can't change your situation with sin unless it's something outside of yourself. And again, thankfully, the Lord Jesus Christ came and died and sacrificed himself for our sin. So it's a focus on God. I think he just brings us back in verse 15. And then really verses 16 to 18 is just a repeat. It's, it's really Solomon just saying, okay, I'm going to continue this study. Look at, I'll just read it for you. Verse 16. And I communed with my heart. Now, that word communed is in the intensive verb. It's the P-L. It's the intensive form. I really thought this hard. Remember deep and wide? He is really going after it. Whole hog. I communed with my heart. I took what I thought were the answers that I was finding and I communed and I said, is this really true? I communed. Long, uh, long days of meditation, as it were. Saying, look, I have attained greatness. I have, I've gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understanding, great wisdom, knowledge. And I, I set my heart, there again, that's that bracket. I set my heart to know wisdom. And to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is a grasping from women. Man, I, I mean, I gave it my best shot, went whole hog, and I still came up grasping for wind. So now he brings us, I think, back to God. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I say God because remember Jesus, it is said, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It's interesting, same words, I believe. But, 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 he, but he's just saying this, listen, without God in your life, you, you, the more you know, the harder it is. See, sometimes we think the more knowledge, it's easier. Actually, no, I mean, with much wisdom is much grief. There's a frustration. What do you mean? Well, you find out disturbing things. Think about all the things that we know because we have, you know, 24-7 news all the time and you're learning all this stuff that's happening, you know, over in... Uh, uh, Liberia and, and Africa and, uh, you know, the people who are dying over in Asia and, and, and uh, China. And, and I mean, with, do you really want to have all that knowledge? <laughs> because you're finding out all these disturbing things, the problems of the world, the frailties of other human beings, uh, the loss of innocence, the frustration in ministry, the, you know, people's weaknesses and problems in church and the grief and the sorrow and is ignorance bliss? I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying it gets hard. See, education and knowing does not solve our greatest problems. Actually, I'd say it this way. Education and knowing does not solve our greatest problems. It just makes us smart sinners. We, we, can be, we become better at what we, you know, unless your heart's been changed by God. Unless it's been changed by God. But, so he just puts that out. He, he's not saying not to, but just saying, you know what? <coughs> Well, think about this. You, you, you watch news. You walk away encouraged. You walk away peaceful and hopeful and joyful. Right? That's what the verse is saying. Right? I mean, you know, you get all this understanding, this increase of much wisdom and increase in knowledge, but it brings to grief and sorrow. And now you go to bed and you're, you wonder why you can't get to bed for another two and a half hours because you're sitting there saying, you know, either some political thing is happening or some world event is going to happen or is what's 
What's that guy in North Korea going to do with those bombs? Well, I'll tell you this. He's not going to blow up the whole world. Jesus is going to deal with that. You're not going to have global warming. Jesus is going to deal with that. Right? But do we need all that information? It's up to you. But you get the point. See, he's given us a pretty good understanding of human wisdom. And I'm excited to get to chapter 2 because it's kind of neat because you start breaking apart the things. Because chapter 2 is actually what, what Christians and non-Christians run after, right? So he's, I'm just giving you like the overview of human wisdom. But when it comes to pleasure and laughter and wine and great works and many things and you know stuff, 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 and stuff is going to make me happy and materialism and all this other stuff, people serving me and having power and prestige, that's all he's talking about there in chapter 2. That's certainly going to make me happy. Ah, maybe education's not going to make me happy. That just got me so I can get the stuff. But certainly the stuff's going to make me happy. No. Well, let me give you a hopeful conclusion in, in one sense. If we take a... Let me read what someone said. If we take a secular perspective trying to understand the world on our own terms, that's what I've been saying this whole message, rather than on God's terms, we will never escape Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We try to do it on our own terms versus God. See, you can study all the philosophy, research all the religions, take all the personal improvement courses that you want to take. It will still end in frustration and vexation. Human reason will only take us so far, which is why God tells us not to boast in our own wisdom, but in the knowledge of him. And if you want a great verse, go to Jeremiah 9. You don't have to go there, just write it down. Jeremiah 9.23 says this, Thus says the Lord, and if you haven't memorized this or close to it, you should, or at least where the passage is. 9.23, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. By the way, that word wisdom would be human wisdom. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. You see what he's doing? you got to know me. <coughs> that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. Jeremiah 9.23 Yeah, don't glory in your... Wisdom, don't glory in your riches, don't glory in your might. Glory in God, glory in the fact that we have a relationship to Jesus Christ, that he has brought us to God. Let me end with a final illustration. Charles Wendell recounts an interesting story. And it's a story about perception, hearing, seeing. A Native American was visiting New York City. Walking with a friend near the center of Manhattan, Manhattan, the Indian suddenly stopped his companion. Again, they're in the middle of New York City. And this Indian stops his companion in the middle of downtown New York City and says this, Wait, I hear a cricket. His friend was disbelieving. A cricket in downtown New York City? Impossible. The cacophony of sounds from passing taxis Impatient, honking, people shouting, brakes screeching, subways roaring would make it virtually impossible to hear a cricket even if one were present. You're nuts! But the Indian was insistent. He stopped his friend and began to crisscross the street and sidewalks with his head cocked to one side, intently listening. 
Then in the large cement planter where the tree was growing, he finally found the cricket and held it up for his friend's benefit. Amazed, his friend asked how he could have possibly heard the cricket. Reaching into his pocket, the Indian grasped some coins, held them waist high, and then started to drop them on the sidewalk. Everyone within a block turned to look in that direction. As Swindoll explains, it all depends on what you're listening for. We don't have enough crickets in our heads. We don't listen for them. Perhaps you have spent all your life searching for a handful of change and you've missed the real sound of life. Life, Christ, right? He himself said, I am the light of the world. He, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? It is Christ who gives grace and truth. It is, it is Christ that is said of 1 Corinthians 1, he is the wisdom from God. And I think of the time when, we're, when he was on the uh, mountain of transfiguration and, it, and the father said this, this is my beloved son, hear him. So the question is, do you have a relationship to Jesus Christ? Have you come to a point in your life where you realize that this world cannot give you the answers to life? It can't. Only Christ, because this world is under the sun. But what does the word say? That Jesus Christ came, he gave himself as a ransom for many, he went to the cross to pay the debt that we owed, and he died a perfect death, and on the cross, what it, it is finished! Salvation is complete. You put your faith and trust in the Lord and Master, your sins can be forgiven, you're brought into the family of God. You have a relationship restored with God the Father and God and Christ is your brother. I mean, all the great truths of Scripture. But are you hearing it? And if you are saved, are you also then, then the question is, but are you still enamored by the trinkets of the world and running after stuff that you think that you're gonna, that's going to satisfy? That's the one I'm concerned about for us. Because I think that's where many of us are. We're saved, we receive Christ, but now we're trying to get satisfaction and contentment and hope and peace and all the other meaning of life through other stuff. And he keeps bringing us back and says, but I'm your life, you need to walk with me. And that's the only place that you can find true peace, joy, and contentment, right? Amen, you older people that walk with Jesus, is that true? Tell your kids, don't run after the trinkets of this world. Don't run after the trinkets. Because to do that is just a life of uh, actually frustration and perhaps even ending in depression. So remember, we don't focus on the trinkets. We focus on him. And we have a great opportunity now to be able to praise him.